Bienvenidos. Welcome in. Uh, it is Thursday. We are doing this because Jeff is about to go on a little on a little vacation, a little end of summer. A little Labor Day uh, camping trip. Nice. Gonna leave work after my last meeting tomorrow, and I'll be home from school, and we're gonna head up there. Cool. Come home Monday. So. Probably our last camp out of the year. Not quite old enough to be camping in mm. cold weather, cold night weather. It's been nice and uh, annoyingly summery this week, <laughs> especially because last week was so great. Last week was like in the seventies; it was beautiful. Yeah, the other day, yesterday, I went on a bike ride at lunch. Didn't realize how hot it was going to be, and uh, kind of went just exploring around. Uh, I live on, the, I work on the north side there, and you know, there's. Right, right up the hill from Penn is Troy Hill, and then behind that there's a valley called Spring Garden. Before you get to Spring Hill, okay. And uh, so I kind of rode my bike up Spring Garden Avenue, and uh, you know it's like just a whole part of the city I'd never seen before. And I went back this one road, and I found you know Pittsburgh has steps. You know they're yeah. they're actually called Pittsburgh steps. They're not called stairs, but they're stairs. They're actually city streets that are stairs that get you from the bottom of a hill to the top of the hill. So sometimes it'll be named after the road that mm-hmm. they come off of, or sometimes they're named after their own road. So I found this one set of steps. Uh, I was looking for geocaches, and uh, <laughs> so the geocache was on the steps. But it was really, and it was cool, but also there's this house here. The exposure is not. I actually fixed the exposure. This house doesn't have a driveway or anything. Its mailbox and its sidewalk go onto the steps. Where is the mailbox? I don't see it. The mailbox is right. It's on the the. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. It. Yeah, sure. Okay. But there's like no driveway or anything. Yeah. Like you can't like you could park a car down on the street, but that was you know pretty far away. I've just like I like I was walking past this house. I'm like, huh. Like there's no curbside, you know. It's back off the, you know. Back it's it's the, the weird, it's the weird thing of, of of building your city in a place where there's a lot of hills, and you built mm-hmm. it before there was a whole lot of geoengineering. Yeah, so like here's a, a cool panorama so that I'm where, that have, you know, I came yeah. up from down here, and then there's a T, so there's a path, a road, which is just a brick path that goes off this way up to the paved street, and then the 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 road that's the steps keep going up that way. So. We should uh, put these up on uh, on your Twitter feed so people can understand what we're talking about. Yeah, I can do that. But, uh, you know, I've always been fascinated by the, the steps. And I've actually thought about hiding some geocaches on some of these steps, you mm-hmm. know, just to entice people to travel them. And this one was a really cool one. So, um, Before we get on other things, uh, let me do the science segment. Did you Do you have any questions from the last one? Oh, 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 oh. The... So here's what I think you were trying to get me to discover, or at least because it kind of came to me. I'm like, ooh, I think that's what Greg wanted me to discover. In that... The... When you're talking about the spin of the particle, it's not necessarily... It's spin to the world, but it's it's spin to the observer or something like that, right? Because you, you know you said when you got in front of it, it had changed direction. But really, it, it's 
surface, quote unquote surface, is moving the same way as it was when you were on the other side of it. Is that? That is, yeah, that's um, part of, of the, yes, yes, you're right. Um, it's, there, there's a perspective issue there. Uh, but if we were on both sides of it and it was a spin up or whatever, it would both look, it wouldn't look opposite to us. It would both look the same. If, if we were on both sides of it, we were in the same reference frame. Right, we would, oh, I was just saying, so it's here, and yeah. it's been up. Like, So I see its surface moving from the bottom to the top. You would right. also see its surface moving from the bottom to the top. Um, right. not, but seeing its surface move is not really... That's, yeah, that's an analogy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's an analogy. Um, it's, it's an interesting question. I'm okay. trying to figure out the right way to answer it that is correct without misleading you. I mean, because uh, I mean, that's what I thought you were looking for, right? Because when you have a ball, yeah, and I have a ball here, and it's turning. If you're on one side of it, it's going to be the surface going from the bottom to the top, and if you're on the other side, the surface is going to be going from top to bottom, right? Because mm-hmm. it's going to be going around in a circle. And then the way you described the whole reference thing, it seemed like you know it'd be more like, um, you know, those those slippery things you used to be able to get at fairs. It's kind of a it was a, a tourist like it was like a donut like a there's a no, I don't okay, so there's um, there's these things you can get like carnivals and stuff like that. Like when we were kids, and it was uh, made out of latex, like a balloon, but filled with water, and it was a donut shape. So like if you oh, hold it, it would I, just slip out of your hand. I remember the ones that were just they were just like rods. Okay, they weren't like donut shapes, but well, I mean, but there's a whole the, the outside. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The inside, Okay, okay. Right? I see what so saying. when you hold yes. it, it would yeah. slip out, right? right. But yeah. if that thing was moving, right, the surface would be moving from top bottom to top. No matter which way you're looking at it, right? Because the surface for those things disappears inside and comes back out. But as long as you're measuring along that axis, right? But I mean, aside from the the physical properties of the latex disappearing inside, that's kind of like how I was imagining the particle. I think you're. Yeah, I think that um, it's a, it's a great observation. Uh, I'm not. I wasn't trying to point you in a direction okay. of, of something to of something to ask me. It was more like I wanted to see what you got out of it, and uh, you already made a, uh, an excellent observation. That's absolutely true. Um, perspective plays a role, uh, and, and that's what I wanted to talk about in this one. Okay. In this next one is the interesting way in which perspective plays a role and what that means. So, if you think about your electron, should we should we uh, <laughs> periscope this again? <laughs> if you want to, I don't, I don't know how how successful that uh, that experiment was. <laughs> Might as well. <clears throat> Greg drops physics part two. <laughs> Remember, we're trying to do this without trying trying to do this. In bite-sized chunks, so you can grasp, so it, it's graspable, so you can sort of let the let the idea um, percolate in your head before me just jumping on to another thing that I think I'm just building on it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I have a I have something that I plan this to lead into an un, a better understanding of, which is uh, mass, but uh, this is sort of 
what how it will lead there is is many many steps from now but let's just talk about again your electron that is moving that is spinning one either one way or another way uh, and let's think about the idea that you are moving alongside it right so you're coming you're coming up close to it and it's spinning let's say it's spinning clockwise and you see that and you come up next to it and it's spinning clockwise and you go past it and it goes starts going in the opposite direction and spinning in the opposite direction right right that was Greg drops physics physics part one that was part one so there are a couple ways you could look at this that are actually equivalent mathematically and I'm not going to get into any math but this is just an example you can look at this like you're the electron and this is uh, this is a I'm using this as, as a toy example because electrons have intrinsic spin, so they have to be spinning. But you can look at it like the electron is still, and it's watching you spin in this direction. Uh, you can look at it like you are watching the electron spin in this direction. And you can keep that perspective up. But here's another thing you can do. You can imagine watching it because, like I said, if you're moving in this thing... From your inertial frame, you're not moving and everything else is moving. The point when you accelerate past it and it moves, starts to move backwards, you can mathematically model that as if doing that, moving past it, going faster than it's going, gives you something the electron had. You are taking away, taking its spin and pushing it in the opposite direction pushing it into another spin, just what you're doing. Right. So that leads to an interesting idea, which Dirac uh, came up with when he was making, when he was uh, revising Schrodinger's equation to make it relativistic. The idea, and I'm not going to get into anything more than this, is that the electron, now, let, me, let, me, let me step back one, one bit, when we were doing the model, I was saying you, you're watching the electron and it's spinning, but you can't actually do that. You, can't, you, you, can make, you can make a measurement at once and you find out it's spin, but you can't just constantly be watching it spin. It turns out, according to the Dirac model, the electron is constantly changing its spin, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, clockwise, counterclockwise, however you want to look at it, constantly. All the particles of the spin are doing that, and... The only, and the rate at which it's switching back and forth, according to the Dirac equation, is related to its mass. Okay. I wanted to point out the perspective of you taking something away from it because that's different than a photon. You can't do that perspective with a photon because you can never get faster than a photon. So there's something about these massive particles that you can do from this perspective that you can't do for non-massive particles. So it's how fast these things are moving back and forth. And here's the rub. If we just knew about how electrons worked, that'd be an interesting thing, right? It'd be interesting, but who cares? Well, we'd know more. We know about this thing called the weak force. And we know that 
electrons, when they are spinning in one direction, have a type of charge that they don't have when they're spinning in the other direction. Okay. So I'll just leave you to leave you with that. All right. Say goodbye to your adoring fans. Bye. Saturday is a better day. <laughs> Dave joined. Cool. So yeah. So just think on that. I guess I should I should say uh, we think of charge like I mean when you think of charge colloquially you think about oh it something gets charged up so if something mm-hmm. has charge it's got more than something else but really from a quantum mechanical standpoint we're just talking about having a property versus right. not having a property um, you know I talked about before how a, a neutron is sort of like an excited version of a proton even though a neutron doesn't have electric charge but a proton does uh, a charge is not extra energy it's just a property that something has okay so one moving this way has a certain property one moving this way doesn't Okay. Got it. Cool. So I think on that. And uh, moving on, we should probably talk about Mr. Robot. Yes. <laughs> you, do we have to? Uh, talk about being a not predictable right? episode. Like you were expecting certain things to happen. You were expecting to witness the implementation of the hack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you were expecting to see Tyrell. You were expecting, in some way, the the delay, the unfortunate delay, was kind of helpful to the story in that you were as confused as Elliot was when it started. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it felt like you missed a week. You're right. And the, uh, I was surprised that they had worked the Ashley Madison thing in. I mean, well, that was just ADR. They threw that in at the last minute. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, um, if, if, if you listened, I mean, okay. I, I had my headphones on so I could hear, hear okay. it very clearly. Okay. But it was definitely the ADR popped in. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, still, yeah, why not take advantage of, of this while it's happening? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, yeah, so, I mean, like I said, you know, they really did not go the way mm-hmm. you would expect it to have happened. Right. You know, they're building to this fairly predictable plot points for the finale, and they missed a ton of them, you know? <laughs> well, you get used to watching television stories and get used to them being told in a certain way. You You get used to the idea that... The final goal is this hack, and then there was going to be something in this tenth episode that was going to stop it, and then they have to, you know, they just take five seasons or whatever to to finally do it. Instead, they just barreled right past it and had it actually happen. Uh, they they went straight into the aftermath. Yeah, yeah. So again, we're we at 
as the audience are, um, or at least the the illusion the show is trying to present, I think it does it very well, is that we are traveling along with Elliot on this journey. We're, we're his companions. Mm-hmm. Although we do have a little bit of a view of other things that are happening, other scenes that Elliot wouldn't. Right. But uh, when we're with Elliot, we're his companion. We can We can hear when he's talking to us. So we kind of get his perspective on what's happening in his mentally ill well, they did break. Mind. They did break that point of view briefly in the coffee shop. Well, they they break it. Well, they use the coffee shop to sort of to clarify things to the audience. Is what is right. But I mean, had they really broken his self image prior to that? What I mean by breaking is there are some scenes that we've seen we we've been a witness to scenes where Elliot was not a part of. We were not. Oh no, no, not absolutely. always. No, there's some yeah. omniscience too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, when Elliot is a part of a scene, mm-hmm. it's always been through his self-image, right? And there might be other small parts that I don't remember, but it seems like that scene where he's choking himself in the coffee shop, and then you know, yeah, that was that was the off, first that was the first time guy. where they sort of. Uh, they relax the illusion. They let you sort of see the 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 broader reality because Elliot was starting to see the broader reality. Right, right. So you know they they, they kept along with that. Uh, I I loved it. I thought it was great. I uh, I know I've been reading some people people are pissed off because they, ex- they didn't explain things. I sort of feel like uh, that wasn't the point. It was. Um, it was to the, the the point of the episode was to say there are bigger things going on here than you thought, right? Uh, and no, I thought it was yeah. I thought it was good. I mean, my first watched it. I watched I watched it live. Ugh. Well, I just didn't feel like waiting yeah. the hour and twenty minutes to be able to watch it. You know, afterwards, the commercials ruin the pacing of the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the show's like not good when you have these commercials. Well, we're, we're so used to watching things without commercials now. Yeah, that, yeah, that, but this show is so cinematic that the pacing—that's true. The pacing plays such a big role, and if well, it, I, I think it that, could actually harm. I mean, it seems like Mr. Robot's doing well enough, but yeah. I mean, it could actually oh, harm, it's doing very well for this. It could actually harm. You know, people's enjoyment, like like how like their their perception of how good it is, because the pacing. Well, you got you got to remember that a lot of the market for this TV show is on web streaming and uh, mm-hmm. DVD sales and right, you know, right. Netflix stuff like that. So they're no longer you're no longer writing TV shows, particularly dramas. You're with no acts. longer writing them. With yeah. A, well, you are writing well, them with an act, but, but with like the big act breaks. You know. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, exactly. You're not writing shows. In consideration of those commercial moments, or at least the more cinematic ones aren't. Mm-hmm. Like Breaking Bad wasn't, uh, Mad Men wasn't. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, you know, with with the commercialist copy because I just wanted to watch it live. Right. Yeah. And oh my god, it was so bad. <laughs> just wait that extra hour, you'll be fine. I know. I know. I'll never do it again. Um. It is rough. Commercial the are rough. The the shot the framing of the shots again. So many good shots mm-hmm. where you know, it just kind of 
like the beginning scene where the psychiatrist is arguing with the guy and I remember the one shot where it's it's on her but she's facing to the left and she's on the left side of the screen and you can see down the block right you know just stuff that's happening down the block in most of the frame and, and then when it goes back to both of them they're like really low in the frame and you can see over them what's mm-hmm. following behind in the restaurant and just it's just such it's really it's really atmospheric the way that the cinematography is is pulling you into the show and and giving you these uh the, these warped views that aren't traditional they aren't your traditional like dutch angle you know just slightly mm-hmm. askew or something like that um the the, the one that, that comes back to me the, the the episode that convinced me that this show was as you know as as good as it is was the one you know I, I texted you afterwards that was the best episode of Mr. Everybody that, that was the Shayla one mm-hmm. but there was also the scene with Terrell in the boardroom where he encounters right. uh, the dude afterwards and there was a scene where um, that, that I noticed it and, and uh, I noticed the AV Club ran a story on it and it's it's like almost hilarious if you would just look at it like a picture <coughs> And just see this shot. You're like, why would a TV show ever do anything like that? Let me see if I can find the picture for you. Mr. Oh, the the scene right before the guy shot himself, where they they showed the camera lens and the disembodied voice. Mm-hmm. That was really good too. Yeah, the actual um, the squib going off. The angles didn't seem to line up on the, on that. Yeah, so that one took me a little bit out of it because like the the. Um, the window seemed to blow up a little too low, but I really like the scene up until that point where uh, he's starting to sweat, getting distraught. But they keep going back to the lens and the teleprompter, and it's it just it was like you know disassociative and very disturbing. You mm-hmm. know? Damn, I try to find this. Keep going. Uh, so that was another one of my favorite scenes. Anyway, I, it doesn't it don't need to show it to you because you've seen it. But mm-hmm. but there's a scene where if you see like the entirety of the conference room or like the the top of the guy, and you see just Wellick's head like in the corner, right. <laughs> just his head like yeah. sort of peeking out, and it's it's it gives you the impression that he's like drowning. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just it, it's this wonderful, and, and if you just look at a picture of it, it looks super silly, but in the moment. It was very, very effective. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, appreciative of that. Um, yeah, you can't. It, it's hard to call this story because uh, I'm, 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 I really do believe uh, the creator Sam Esmail when he says, you know, this was, this is the first act. <laughs> this is the first thirty minutes of what the movie would be. Right. So, yeah. That, and that was really cool. So, like, who is knocking at his door is, is a question a lot of people have. I don't even know if Sam Mesmiel has the answer to that right now. It's the guy trying to get his dog back. No, I'm guessing <laughs> it's... I mean, I, like I said, I don't even know if Sam Mesmiel knows yet. Um, but uh, I would guess it would be Darlene. Yeah. That would be my quickest guess. Yeah. So, but who knows? It's a good show. Uh, and one of the things they can do because it's a good show is so I was talking to so a friend of mine is asking me for help writing stuff Luch- I keep Luchador guy? Uh, Luchador guy's brother okay 
um, who was involved in, in, in it, but is not the uh, is not the kind of person that uh, his brother was. It's a, I like him a lot more. Let's put it that way. I'm, I'm more fr- I'm friendly with it. I'm mm-hmm. a lot friendly with him. Uh, but I question sometimes his uh, commitment to these things. Okay. Um, I can go through the conversation because it's kind of interesting. I think I pointed out some interesting things. Um, he, all right, let me just go through from the beginning here. So he starts texting me. It's all done also through through texts that, that he sent to my Gmail, and so I was sending <laughs> back. So it's really hard to, to parse out. Uh, he said he wanted my opinion on some stuff. I'm like, uh, what kind of stuff? It's about writing. Sorry, you're the only one I want to learn from. <laughs> I said, I'm no expert, but okay, what do you want to know? He says, I started writing short fantasy stories, kind of like D&D Quest, but as a story. And I was starting with the characters. I remember you told me to write down... I, I'm translating here because he has atrocious spelling. I forgive a little bit because he's on a, on a phone, but... Mm-hmm. He, the sentences are kind of awful. Uh, write down the characters, then write descriptions about them. So that's where I am. So I, so that, I did give him that advice at one point. I said, you know, if you're going to write a story, particularly if you're going to write a longer story, write down a background for your characters. So here's what I said. So you, when you're developing a story, you can draw from their backgrounds. Right. And know how they're, you know how they're going to act. Basically. You're setting up a simulation. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that you don't always know. So uh, I said, say, yes, it can be helpful to have backstories to your characters, even if you don't use them directly in the story. They allow you to understand the motivations of the different characters. And I went through a couple things here. I didn't go through, like, I didn't, this, these are, I'm not going to go through story structure again, but I am talking about some things to, to keep in mind with stories. Uh, I keep a few things in mind. One, characters should drive the story, not the other way around. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, the characters should have reasons to be motivated to move from step to step. Number two, no one thinks they're evil. I see this mistake happen a lot. <laughs> Even the evil characters. Every character should believe should should behave as if they're the star of their own story, even if they are not the star of the story you are writing. Number three, unless the characters are entirely incidental, like a shopkeeper that appears for one line, they should all have some sort of arc. They should learn something from the story and change because of it. Number four, Chekhov's gun. We've talked about this before. Do not introduce story elements like mention having a gun that you do not intend to use in your story. Don't draw attention to the gun at any point if you're not going to use it for anything. Number five, avoid deus ex machinas. If you have a ma- if you have mag- it's fine to have magic in a story if that's part of your world, but never introduce an element at the end of the story to solve the story that wasn't introduced in some way beforehand. This is the inverse of Chekhov's gun. Always introduce a story element you intend to use to resolve your story. And number six, stories don't end, they resolve. We've talked about that before. So I gave him that, and he goes through a couple things, and then he starts giving me his descriptions of the characters. Uh, And they're like one sentence. And not even like... Write a page on each person. Yeah. So here's, here's what he said. Main character, uh, what the guy's name, he is hot-tempered, honorable, strong, fearless, brave, determined, jolly, loving, and dedicated. 
<laughs> he gave me a couple things like that. Uh, some that were even like uh, this guy. He's he's the first character's right hand. When it comes to a fight, he will follow him to death and back. He is ruthless and fearless. All right, paper thin, paper thin. Tell him to write a page on each character. <laughs> so what I said the first thing I said is, how serious are you about this? Because I wasn't going to get into this if he wasn't going to say, oh, I'm really serious. And he told me he's real okay. Very, would love to do this for fun. Then I said, okay, then you have to step it up. What you gave me is nothing, tinfoil. You should have at least a page of Vaxor in all your characters. Who they are. Where do they come from? Who are their parents? And just, just giving, just throwing out suggestions right, right, for right. things. Who are their parents? How did they grow up? Impoverished? Rich? Any siblings? Influential family members or members of the community they grew up with? Or for better or for worse? Who was their first love? Who was their, what was their biggest mistake? Their biggest fear? Their biggest weakness? Their greatest strength? What adventures have they had in the past when they were growing up? Where do they live now? What do they do now? What is their standing in the community? Are there parents or siblings alive or dead they embrace the past or run from it these kind of things you know trying to get mm-hmm. him to think about make a model of a person yeah yeah a, and then when you're real, writing the story a real idea of a that person model. exactly uh so i continued if you want your characters to be real they have to be well put together they have to have motivations and fears a past and a potential future as i said this is not information you are necessarily going to include in the story this is the background for you to help you as you write these characters there will be times when you'll need a motivation or need to understand why a character wants to do something or why not, and you'll have these backgrounds to help you. There will be times when you think you know where your own story is going and your characters will tell you otherwise. Uh, so he then said, for each person? <laughs> so I said, yeah, for everyone who plays a role in your story. You don't need to write a book about each of them, but you need to know who these characters are. You'll discover things about them as you write. That's the nature of these things. Storytellers don't come up with a story in a single instant and just write it down. It's a process. You're going to go on an adventure with these characters. You may only, you may only have a vague idea of how it will end, and the end might even surprise you as a writer. I think this is all good advice that I'm giving. No, no, I think I, I agree completely. <laughs> you have to make a model of the yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And then you let, when you're writing a scene, you look at the model and you pull out certain right. attributes you to, run, to yeah. enrich the scene. Exactly like you said, you run the simulation. You, yeah. you figure out how this would play. And maybe you run it a couple times to see if it'll play a couple different ways. Um, he said, that's fun. And I said, it's fun until it's not. And sometimes it's torture. Writer's Bach is no joke. It's hard. You have to write every single day. It's a muscle and you have to exercise it and you have to not be afraid to write total shit just to get something on the page. You have to not be afraid to write great stuff and then have to throw it away because it doesn't fit. You have to rewrite everything, everything, no first drafts. Uh, And then uh, then I say, I can't write this for you. I can only give you the formulas, the arithmetic. You You have to do the heavy lifting. It's your story. This is me trying to be like, trying to disengage. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And then he says, I I know, says, he starts saying, uh, I uh, just need pointers and help with the structure. Uh, You should say, give me your character 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so like I said, I'm no expert. I'll give you what I can, but this is your journey. And this is what I also said, and it will not be easy. If you want an idea of how hard it will be, consider this. I thought about writing in my spare time, but decided it was too hard and taught myself quantum mechanics instead. And no, I was never, and still am not any good at math. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm saying that if you really, really want to do this, that means you love it enough that you don't care that it will be hard. Um, then he says, I really want to do this and have people enjoy it. And I said, get this part straight. This is more important than anything else. You're writing for yourself. No one else, just yourself. If other people enjoy it, great. But you have to write what you like and what you want to read. It's, it's like if you're a comedian, you don't put a single joke in your set that doesn't make you laugh. Even if other people like it, it won't work and won't feel fulfilling unless you like it. Same deal here. Uh, I said, I'll compare it to the physics thing. I didn't learn quantum mechanics because I wanted to feel smart. I didn't want to feel smart, and I don't feel smart. I feel dumber than ever. That doesn't bother me. I wanted to know. I wanted to understand. When a subject or a problem is kicking me in the ass and I hate working through it, I still ultimately work through it because my desire to understand is much, much stronger than my desire to not be frustrated. And sort of he he asked me, uh, you did it because you have an interest and find it, it, it amazing, right? And this is the point that I really wanted to, to push hard. Sometimes it's amazing, sometimes it's not, it's just there. I don't do it because it's amazing, I do it because it scratches an itch. An itch nothing else can scratch. I kind of want to stress to him, this is something that I do... Yeah, it's not because, oh, every time I learn something new, it's amazing. No, it's it's something that I feel compelled to do. That's what it is. Right. Uh, so the the thing, the traits that he built for his characters, right, those should almost arise out of the backstories. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And then, and then at, at a certain point, once he has all these backstories for his main characters, he has... The main character, he has the sidekick. He needs to see which traits each ones have and make sure that they complement each other in the ways he wants them to complement, contrast mm-hmm. and conflict in the ways he wants them to conflict, and then tweak the backstories. Yeah. But you don't start off with those. Yeah, you don't traits. start with, with with just traits. And and you also let the characters' relationships evolve. I mean, you may have an idea in your mind for how the characters are gonna are gonna work. But you may find when you're writing that these two characters don't work well together, and these other two characters do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just may find that these, you know, as you're writing, and if you have these templates, if you have these ideas of the characters, it'll be a lot easier. And if you're just making it up, as if you're just barfing onto a page, because then it's not going to it's not going to be coherent. And I very much worry that that's exactly his problem. But my big point, but the reason why I brought all this this whole thing up was because. You know, it, it's so important to learn these rules. It's so important to learn the things like structure and all these things and, and follow them and get them to the point where they're muscle memory. And the big, the, the really important reason, the reason why it's so important to learn them is because when you know them, like I said, like their muscle memory, then you start to learn when and how you can break them. And that's what I see Mr. Robot doing. Mm-hmm. It knows that it's an issue of trust. A storytelling, you're 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 telling the audience that that you will take care of them, uh, and that you will guide them through this. And so the audience has to trust you to tell to, to tell you a story. 
if they feel like you're flighty or you're not telling us or you're just it doesn't make any sense then they're not going to trust you if they don't trust you they're not going to be paying attention so that's why you can't just do things like killing off a character in, in the first episode of a tv show you got to let your audience trust you to start telling a story you can play, you can do your twists and stuff as long as the rest of the, the story is structurally sound then you can throw in a twist here and there you can throw in a uh, a misdirection you can change up how things are working because you've earned that trust you have that capital you can use right it's important you think he's going to write this story not at all <laughs> uh i mean part of what i was doing was trying to um, like I said, I mean, I didn't. I said I didn't want to discourage him, but my my point was to to say, look, if you if you really want to do this, then you're going to take all this negative stuff and you're going to use it. You know, all this stuff of me sort of berating you and telling you how it should be, and you're going to use that. If if you don't, if you aren't going to be a storyteller, they're just going to get frustrated and stop. Right. Write some more luchador comedy. Right, exactly. So, I know, we'll see. But, um, yeah, I, I gave him a little bit of encouragement at the end. But uh, I don't expect much. Especially with what he gave me. It was nothing. He tells me he has a backstory and he gives me a, a couple attributes. How old is he? How tall is he? He's uh, he's uh, in his uh, mid twenties. No, 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 no. The character, the character. Oh, <laughs> no idea. But he's uh, and some of the traits almost seem like contradictory. Like, yeah, yeah. Quick tempered, but also uh... yeah. I was I was thinking that too. Okay, hot tempered, honorable, strong, fearless, brave, determined, jolly. Loving and dedicated. I don't know how you can be sort of hot-tempered, strong, honorable, and also jolly. Those, you have to be a little bit of... jolly, you're jolly all the time. Yeah, you have to to be a little bit of either a prankster or just, you know... You have to be be willing to bend the rules and stuff to be jolly. Uh, (laughs) uh, Loving and dedicated, but strong and fearless and brave. I mean... Like okay, so clearly this is what um, uh, this is the trope of the Mary Sue. This is the uh, the character who is a stand-in for the author. <laughs> right? All the all, all all the best things the author thinks about themselves, they put it they dump into the character called the Mary Sue. Mm. So um, yeah, you see this. I remember Star Trek: Next Generation had Wesley Crusher, and he was obviously Gene Roddenberry's Mary Sue. Um, and I guess Kirk may have been as Mary Sue when he was doing another show. You know, they have no they have no flaws, and and they are just amazing at everything they do. Yeah, bad character design. Uh, the wizard is his wizard best friend, a trickster. Happy, I want him to be the Jiminy Cricket for what. <laughs> I don't care what you want him to be. What's he going to be? Uh, the Jiminy Cricket? Yeah. Isn't Jiminy Cricket just the conscience? I don't know. I, I would I would say 
I think me. I think he's thinking more like a uh, a great gazoo. Like, <laughs> I mean, because Jiminy Cricket's just Pinocchio's conscience, right? I mean, he doesn't really have one. Kind of a. I don't. I don't remember Jiminy Cricket too much. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he, he, because you know, he's just a puppet at that point. You know, uh, he does, He's he's gullible, and Jiminy Cricket helps with you know morals and conscience and things like that. I mean. Do you remember Mr. Magoo? Not Mr. Magoo. Um, um, the Great Gazoo. The Great Gazoo. Do you remember the Great Gazoo? Yeah. Yeah, he was like the, this wizard in the Flintstones. <laughs> when the Flintstones got to be, you know, they introduced their Poochie, and it was this this wizard who just, who'd pop in and, and, and play practical jokes and stuff like that. Uh, I, I think that's what he's going for. But this, in order for that to be interesting, that should be sort of an antagonist relation. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, it should be a strange relationship. That's a little bit of Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. I mean, you got. I'm not an expert, but Gandalf occasionally is, like you know, when he shows up at the Shire and you know invites all the trolls or the, the dwarves or whoever in, you know. But, the even the I mean, none of the characters would call Gandalf their best friend, right? He's far too distant and far too different a thing. I wouldn't even say he's not a human. He's not a person. He's a he's a thing in the Lord of the Rings world. Right. Um, but yeah, he's he's a different being entirely. So he's not anybody's best friend. I mean, he's a yeah, he's a all sort of wanderer. Yeah, but what your friend said he wrote it makes me think of like that scene, you yeah. know, where they invite everyone into the into Bilbo Baggins' house and you know. Without you know, it's almost like a trick, right? The yeah, way, the way it comes out, especially the way Baggins is so particular, and his right hand when it comes to a fight, he will this the other the next character, he'll follow him to death and back. He is ruthless and another fearless character, who's ruthless, and his right hand when he comes. To... No, no attributes about these characters at all, except for just like he has. How can you have a, friend, a best friend that's ruthless? I mean that. <laughs> He's going to turn on you then. Yeah. If the if the situation arises, he's going, he's in it for himself. He better because that's interesting, right? If there's right. conflict between the characters, right. that's interesting. But he's always going to be. How does he get to be best friend, Maturo? He's always going yeah. to be distant, you know. Mm-hmm. Or he's or know, he's playing a con game. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, like if he were a. Uh, if you were a plant from the enemy or something, that'd be that'd be an interesting way to take it, right? If you were a double agent or something. Here's a new podcast idea. Let's rewrite your friend's story. <laughs> like let's, let's let's take a stab at it. We'll we'll collaborate here. I mean, I don't even know anything <laughs> about the story. I know nothing about the story except for it's going to be a D and D like adventure right. with these it. characters. But we've already just talking it over, come up with better ways of doing these characters. <laughs> we haven't even talked to the main character, um, right? You know. I, I was just thinking to myself when I was reading these. These characters have no flaws. There, there's nothing interesting about these characters. Uh, characters have to have. Well, it sounds like the same guys who wrote the Luchador thing. Right? <laughs> I mean, For, I, I mean, yeah. like you know, I'm not like when you said a whole page. It's like you've been like you're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> Your main character needs like. Five to ten pages. <laughs> I mean, you need to have, you need to know what who these characters are. I agree. I, I think, and that sounds. In, I've never really written or anything, but that sounds like a fun, like 
you're, you're constructing a universe like one little piece at a time. Mm -hmm. And then when you start doing your plot, you just run a, like I said, run a simulation. You play the characters as best you know them through the conflict. Mm -hmm. And as you develop the detail and the interesting parts of the story, you, you draw from their backstories. And their, yeah. I mean, I've heard it described as, you know, you, you have a, you have a map, you have a, you're going from point A to point B, but how you go there, that you know where it's going. You know how it starts. You know where it ends. But you don't know exactly where the journey is going to take you. Mm -hmm. That's the process, and you have to figure that out. And you may change the end ultimately, based on what happens on the journey. Right. Whatever. And, and like I said, I also made the point. You know that it's about what is interesting to you, not about what you think other people are going to like. So if your story. If you find an interesting way to go that you didn't weren't planning on, mm -hmm. take that interesting way to go because now you're interested in it. Now you're going to be able to keep writing on it. Right, that. right. So you should find him like a, a character development for like a small character of something he knows, and like show him how much details in it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good idea. Or, or, or as an exercise, I could say you know take a take a character you know ask him what his favorite story is and write a page or two about these characters. Tell me about no, not what they did. Nothing about what they did. Tell me about who they are before they before the story happened. Right. From the sounds of it, I'm not sure your friend would be able to do that. It sounds like he would write the prequel adventure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Don't you think? Yeah, you think maybe. He would end up writing the prequel adventure instead of, you know, the... He's, I can't imagine. From, I mean, everyone starts somewhere. I know, I know. But from what I've heard, I can't imagine he's going to be writing about um, the number of siblings and, the you know, what happened to each sibling and all that stuff. <laughs> I just don't... Maybe you'll maybe be surprised. Maybe you'll come back. You'll show me next week the, uh, the main character's backstory and it'll be six pages of good content. I, I, I would be very shocked because that, that'd be... They'd be jumping, you know, the head of the class right away, which they don't expect. You know, I, I I come on here and I talk about the science stuff, and you know, and sometimes I even pontificate, right? I I, I tell you things about how I'm thinking, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that these are the ways that things work, like, but I'm I'm tossing out theories, and the reason why I'm tossing out theories is just because I've got these ideas in my head, and um, like I'm trying to do with the explanation. Mm -hmm. I don't have the whole story, but I'm trying to just... But my mind is exploring it, and it's seeing where it can go. And usually I'm wrong. Sometimes I get, like, part of the answer correct and part of it wrong. Uh, I rarely nail it. <laughs> but that process helps me when I learn the next thing. And it helps me sort of understand what's coming next. Uh, you know, I, I don't do, I, I don't pontificate about these things because I think, oh, I'm the next Einstein and I've come up with some brilliant idea. No, it's me just, okay, here's what I've learned. Where could this be going? You know, there's, there's, there's a whole world of stuff out there that I don't sure. know about. Uh, and like I said, I'm not trying to be like, oh, look how smart I am. <laughs> that's, that's the opposite of what I'm doing. Right. Anyway. That's my story rant. <laughs> so I lied last week. 
I told you I was done watching the last ship. Oh. <laughs> I had to watch the last two episodes just to see. Uh-huh. Sure, no, okay. I understand. I get it. Ugh. Oh, man. So, in the second... In the I, second I bet it's an interesting contrast, Mr. Robot versus oh. the last ship. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's making it much worse. Second to last episode, the they're, they're going out on a, an assault, an excursion of an oil rig, right? And it's like five of the characters that are main characters on the show, and some dude I've never seen before. A red shirt, right? Uh-huh. Guess what happens to him? Gets blown up. <laughs> We're getting blown up like it didn't... Didn't affect the plot at all. They could have not introduced an expendable character and not blown him up. It was just their way of ratcheting up the tension. Of, of, of it, it was artificially raising the stakes, and they could have had the same attack happen and the same ball of fire and have yeah. it not kill anyone. Yeah, and it wouldn't have changed your emotional tension investment in the whole thing. Because but, this guy had, oh look, the guy I've never seen before just got burned up. Whoop de do. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen yeah, as soon as, yeah. as soon as he stepped on camera. I mean, they felt the need to raise the stakes, and that's that's. Adam Baldwin saved the day, though. Go, Adam Baldwin! You conservative right wing asshole. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, big oh. time. Oh, okay, big time. I thought I thought we liked him because he was Jane, but he did. hey, I'm I'm able to separate the the performance from the person. Okay, I. I thought he was great as Jane. Still think he was great as Jane. I don't much like his views, but like I said before, yeah, I have a uh, a friend of mine who I think is one of the brightest people I know, and his opinions on stuff is so wrong. <laughs> it drives me batty. I was listening to one of the um, Star Talks where they had a Jesuit priest on, and then interviews from Dawkins. And it sounded so much like that conversation I had up at camp. (laughs) Where the Jesuit priest was... I'm trying to figure out how to best describe it. But, I mean, it was... um, You know, so he's Catholic Jesuit, right? So they believe in the Big Bang. But, you know, God touched off the Big Bang. And so, Neil deGrasse Tyson's like... You know, so I've had spiritual moments. I've been on top of a mountain, you know, at Kilauea, you know, stars are all around me. And I felt in touch with the universe, you know, it was a spiritual moment. But I didn't assign any divinity to it. And the priest's like, well, you know, that's just God's, you know, letting you in type, you know, trying to describe that. It. Neil never said, yeah. you know... No, didn't say God doesn't exist. He no, said, but, but he never even like he could have. The, I mean, he was having enough frank conversation with the priest yeah. that he could have said, "Why add extra complexity?" Right. You believe in science. They, they talked a lot about science and evolution and stuff like that. And you know, and the priest is like, "I can't understand people who don't believe in evolution." You know, it, it's yeah. it's ignoring observation and things like that and neil should have at least said once observation why you know and they actually did say something about that or richard dawkins you probably heard this quote before but like if richard dawkins dies and meets god his question for god would be why did you work so hard to make yourself like not 
observable or something yeah. like that. And then the priest came back with, you know, maybe a little bit of faith would be, not, you know, maybe one with a little bit of faith or something like that. I like Stephen Fry's answer to that question. Uh, somebody asked him, you know, if you meet God, what do you say? And Stephen Fry said, uh, how dare you? How dare you? Look at the misery that you've caused. Oh. Um, and that would probably be my response too. I'm not going to worship you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, but I mean, but really, there's no point because it, it's yeah, like the whole Jesuit stuff. It's very elaborate fan fiction built around that very specific, that very tenuous feeling of awe that 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 we as humans get. Um, when the chemicals in our systems are, are doing the right things, uh, or the wrong things, um, yeah. So, so Neil never really posed to him, you know, why isn't it just what we can, you know, why why does there have to be this extra unobservable f- actor there, right? Yeah. And but why does it need an intelligence? Why does it need to be yeah. a personality? Like, I mean, I don't have a qualm with a deistic concept right the, the the concept of a of a force of some kind right uh i i do have qualms with the personal concept i i don't see how that's anything but base personification mm-hmm. which we do to everything uh and it's quite clear that we have many examples of things that are not humans why would the thing that created the universe be human or human like right and then neil was also pointing out several times about why does uh you know uh believing in god or something like why does it lead to all the rules of organized religion Mm -hmm. right and priest was kind of you know wishy-washy on that one too like you know He's basically he just wants you to meet God, and then you know he, he didn't quite say it, but it almost sounded like, and then you'll just slide into the rest of the shit, you know. <laughs> uh, I think that there is validity to that because that's what happens, right? People when they find a calling, and I'm including myself in this, um, they uh, they soak up the the attitude and the um, the culture around that calling. Uh, I've certainly done it with science. Um, you know, I've soaked up the idea of observation before, you know, <laughs> evidence and observation. Um, you know, I think, I think it's the most valid way we've come up with yet of discovering things because it's so demonstrable. I don't think it's true. I don't think what I'm learning is the truth, right? I don't think what I'm learning is the inescapable, bar none, absolute about reality. No, I'm learning a model that works really well, that may be overturned at some point. Um, But it's fascinating stuff, and like I said, it scratches an itch I have, Uh and so I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to reject things that I find not empirical like 
certain theories of science and I'm going to well certain quote unquote theories that uh, don't really mm-hmm. that aren't really deserving of being called theories and I'm going to accept those things that are and uh, and I will always remain provisional based on evidence right that's my look at it but I don't care if somebody else has a different view as long as they don't try to interfere with you know as long as they don't try to push their view on me through legislation or something like that right that that's the key I mean you can be religious as you want and we'll get along great as long as you don't force me to like not you can't masturbate on Sunday or whatever <laughs> <laughs> that's a step too far <laughs> I need my masturbation on Sundays best day to do it yeah alright anyway we should probably move on that's been a long uh, free show I bet 56 cool. see you later guys <laughs>